Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. We're back. It's been a bit of a break. But you know, I'm ha- here. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of happy with the arrangement. Yeah, for because sure. there's just not there's just like not enough stuff. Not right now, no. Coming out now, like to make it worth doing oh, this every week. There's some things coming out slowly. Finally, uh, we got Luca coming out this Friday. The, the Pixar movie that everyone seems lukewarm about, but yeah. still managed to snag like a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes. Luca warm about? Luca. Oh, I didn't even see that. This is bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. There's not a lot coming out. We have to compile stuff in time, you know, and then then we do the yep. And people that listen to this podcast are just like, oh, there's a new episode. That's cool. Oh, and they're talking about three weird things that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, awesome. well, that's what you have to do. It's like a patchwork. You yeah. and Rosenberg style. Um, it's a board game reference. Uh, yeah, we got we got a beer though. Uh, the <laughs> apparently, same. the only brewery we're going to drink from anymore is right. Rock Brewing, which is fine. Uh, but this is their third in the line. No, fourth in their fourth, line of yeah. gozes. They've had the Meyer Lemon, which was one of your favorites. Ooh. The uh, Blackberry. The yep. raspberry, and now the peach gose. Hmm. This is peach and coriander wheat. This honestly might be my, this is my second favorite of the bunch. It's very subtle. Oh, yeah. That's what I was just going to say that, yeah. But it's eminently drink. It's what it's what they wanted to do with that lime kicker. Mm. This, is, this is what that lime kicker should have been. Yeah. Because this is just... It's not so much like saltiness with the goze. It's not too sour. It's actually really refreshing to me. Uh, at kickball this yeah. past week, I had three of them. You mm-hmm. know, just throughout over like four hours. And what are, what's the um, ABV? Four point five. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, perfect. 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 Yeah, I just I kept like the smell is. It's a strong fragrance for sure. It is, and I kept I wanted it to be as ag- aggressive as the Meyer lemon, which I just loved, but it's not. But that's not to say it's bad. It's good. It's just not as ag- it's not very aggressive. For sure, I, I I I do enjoy it. This past weekend, Tom was E three too. By the way, you know me throwing video game references in there mm-hmm. when I can. I'm aware. Just in the podcast, when I can talk about video games, I do. It's fine. No one's E3. telling you you can't. You 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 just stared at me and said, "Don't do this, Mario." You said this off air. I just said, don't do this. Shook my head violently. Yeah. Xbox had a pretty good expose of stuff. Psychonauts 2 got a release date. What? Do you, do you ever play Psychonauts? No. Oh. Is Zelda in... in it? Or Link? No. no. Was Hollow Knight in it? Yes. Sure. <gasps> really? No, he's not. Oh, then no, no, no. I think it's a Tim Schafer game, though. If I remember right, Psychonauts. Like, the guy did, like, Grim Fandango and all that. Wow. This is... <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> Is going a lot of places. What a, was it a Tim Schafer game? Yeah, it was a Tim Schafer game. Uh, he's, he does a lot of narrative point-and-click games, but this wasn't a narrative oh, yeah, point-and-click. Yeah, yeah. It was like a... It was a kind of uh, adventure-style platformer. Psychonauts? Yeah. And that's that's coming on Game Pass, which was a great great deal. And Flight Simulator finally got a console release date. Why does everyone want to play that game? Flight Simulator? Yeah. Because it's the entire world. Like... I'll show you video of it after the podcast. Is you it just fly, flying? You fly around the world. It's cool. Yeah. It's kind of like... But Did you it, do anything? Can you crash your plane into mountains? I mean, you, it just says you have crashed. It doesn't actually show you crashing. Well, why? Because you can fly around. You, it has real-time weather. 
like last year when they had Hurricane Laura, they showed like people flying through like the cloud formations of Hurricane Laura and all that. It has real time, like if it's night in Osaka, you can fly out of Osaka when it's raining and land in San Francisco when it's not raining. You're just telling me the things that the game does. Yeah. You're not telling me why that's cool or interesting. You can see everything. It's like two pentagram, two pentagrams, two pentabytes or whatever of data, like in this game. Is that a lot of data? Yeah, it's like two thousand gigabytes, I believe. No, two million gigabytes. Because two thousand be a terabyte. So yeah, is that a lot? Well, yeah, that has to stream part of the game. You can't even download all of it because it's too oh. big. Cool. But <laughs> <laughs> just flying, and then what? When you're in the sky, what are you looking at? The, the, the environments. There's no environment. You're in the sky. You fly. You fly lower. That sounds risky. Could you? you but you can't crash. So who cares? <laughs> you can. Can fly. you hit birds? I don't know. But there's giraffes. Like that are in the sky. <laughs> no, there's giraffes like walking around and. <laughs> I don't think so. If it's real life, there's <laughs> giraffes in real life. Are you can, there? You could fly in between. You can like get in a small stunt plane and fly like in between buildings and fly underneath like the uh, the. Uh, Eiffel Tower and whatnot. You could do that underneath sort of it, like into the in, under the arches. Yeah, you could do like stunt flying throughout. You, the- I mean, what, do you just slaughter the people that are standing under there? No, like no. Indiana Jones style. No, you don't. This is this is. Why a, are we not- playing this game then? To world? fly around the world, and then we get really close. Sometimes they haven't actually gotten good images of certain bridges, so it just looks like. A block with the picture of the bridge painted over it. That's funny. It'd be funny if it was like Coraline with like the undrawn spots because like they don't know. And then it comes back into the part where you know. And like there's like highly detailed variations of certain cities. Then you go to like Pinyongyang and it's just block buildings because there's no street view of that. Oh, in North Korea? Yeah. Oh, uh, you think they want to be a part of that? There are people on the ground though. Like there's one person showed an image of flying in the Area 51. And there's just a guy at the refueling station just <laughs> refueling up. So is it like plane. Google Earth? Yeah, it's it's both Bing Maps because it's Microsoft. Oh, well, oh, come on, <laughs> come on, that's terrible. <laughs> Bing Maps. Well, yeah. So that's coming. The Game Pass. The new Fours is coming. All these exciting games. Yeah, you know what's not coming for a while is Breath of the Wild Two. Yeah, it's not. But you got Metroid Dread. You got a new Mario Party. Those are fun. I didn't see a problem with old Mario Party, but apparently everybody hates it. So, or like the Mario Party from Switch. Oh, I didn't. I didn't play it. I was like the. I don't know. It was fun. There's lots of ones where the Mario characters can punch each other in the face, which is all you really want. That is true. Uh, but Tom, you know it is nice now that we can play Mario Party together, mm-hmm. sitting next to each other. Yep. But for the longest time, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. Because there weren't vaccines. I mean, we probably would have. We were together without being vaccinated. (laughs) But a lot of people couldn't join together. And so they were kind of alone. Yep. Just, you know, mixing up, mixing it up with themselves and trying to figure out their own thing and Uh trying to express themselves creatively. Yep. And sometimes, like our first film, they were stuck inside performing a comedy special. In the Heights. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that... It's is, kind of a comedy special. You know, and sometimes they uh, made a mediocre film, and that's In the Heights. <laughs> Leave it. Leave it. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> they used to say, if you work hard, 
you live by the rules, the money will come, the things will come. You ready? I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. Today's all we got, so we cannot stop. This is our block. In the heights, I Things in my life, and I built my little dream, my sueñito. Here, Washington Heights. We're taking the flight to a couple of days in the life for what it's like in Washington Heights. I gotta be honest, Bo Berman did a pretty incredible job just inside that one room right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's that's impressive. Yeah, there's elements. How's he doing all of that? I don't know. I mean. Hard. It's got to be, must have been hard. I mean, he was clearly by the end of the whole experience just worn out. Yeah. So, I mean, I could, I could see that. I could see he had to be. Like, I don't know how he made himself look like Lynn Manuel Miranda or Corey Hawkins, but it was impressive. <laughs> um, we're not insane people. We, we, we understand what we're doing. Um, in the Heights is uh, an adapt a movie adaptation of Lin Manuel Miranda's Tony Award winning musical from two thousand eight. It stars Anthony Ramos, who played uh, uh, Lawrence, John Lawrence, and uh, Philip Hamilton in Hamilton. Um, I remember the Oscars, the twenty twenty Oscars when Parasite won. Like Lin Manuel Miranda was like introducing people and he like introduced anthony ramos and he's like that kid's gonna be a star this summer and it, it didn't happen thank god didn't happen um that summer and um, well, i take that back sorry no no no. i mean i think it is he plays usnavi he owns a bodega but he wants to buy his father's bar in the dominican republic um this story kind of takes place all in washington heights um which is in the bronx in, it's um, in manhattan is it in Manhattan? Yeah. Oh, Manhattan. but they're going to the... They're moving to the, yeah, uh, yeah. the hair salon to the Bronx. Um, stuff happens. There's a car service, which, uh, you know, is Jimmy Smith is going to sell. There uh, is um, Benny, who is a dispatcher at the car service, but is good at it. He loves Nina. And then uh, Usnavi... Is in love with Vanessa, who was working at the salon, but wants to be a fashion be designer. a fashion designer. Also, everyone's in love with Vanessa in this. Yeah, which is fine. There's um, Mark Anthony's in it, which is the best part of the movie. Um, I don't. I'm. I almost feel like turning it over to you because I've. I'm very conflicted about this movie. Um, Do you really want to turn it over? We, we all know my opinion on it. Well, we've talked about this with Hamilton. Yeah, my, I, I just, I feel like it's. What the hell is that? That's that. Down that. What are they the doing? <laughs> what do you think? This is Washington Heights. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, um, I don't think it's very good. But I don't think i think it's well i think they made all the mistakes that you can, that you could make when you make a musical uh a, mu- a movie musical or adapt a musical from 2008 until now which is kind of the same mistakes that lin-manuel miranda made when he adapted hamilton uh, or not when he adapted hamilton but when he released 
like uh, Hamilton that was written during a specific time in um, American culture and expected it to hit the same way like five years later. 2008, and so this must this was written like way before that uh, in the Heights. Um, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It just didn't seem to translate in like changing the that like a, a the lyric from Trump to Tiger Woods, like about a golf thing. Um, it is what it is. Um, I think it's. I think in that regard, it's one of those things where I think all the conservatives that are kind of hitting coming down on this movie for that thing. Um, Donald Trump means something totally different in two thousand and. 21 than he did in 2008 when this movie was written. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff about the uh, colorism in in this. Like, there's a big pushback, and it's totally fair. And one of the things that I think is Lin Manuel Miranda and uh, his co-conspirators here do wrong, John Chu included, is that they're just like, oh, you know what worked is Broadway worked, so let's just kind of run that stuff back. Even though the different characters playing. Um, I don't know, the, the light-skinned nature of the Broadway cast is carried over into, like, the mostly light-skinned, like, cast here, too. It's problematic, seems a little tone-deaf. I think all that stuff kind of carries over to a lot of the things that are wrong with this movie, not even from a cultural standpoint, but just from a movie-making standpoint. It is, um, got these weird, fantastical elements, just kind of out of nowhere, um, you know, you make the last thing you want to do as a film director is make Armand White look good. And his kind of, when he pointed it out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Anytime there's a whole bunch of people on the screen um, during a musical number, they're all engaging in the musical number. And most of the time, that means just standing around and waiting for like the person doing the musical number to sing a thing before they all start like dancing the cues yeah it's just like it's waiting for just this. kind of it's so eminent in that it's, in that pool scene after ninety three thousand. but actually it's it's i actually think it's more eminent when um nina's walking down the street and like looking at like her life like why mm. I, why can't they just be living life why do they have to be dancing in time with everything else i think the narrative makes no sense i think the vanessa usnavi thing is stupid i think the nina they have zero chemistry uh, well, I think I it's, don't. I, I didn't think Anthony Ramos was good in Hamilton. I don't think he's good here. I think he's, I hope. I hope he has. I hope he has potential. He probably does. Here's the thing. I but think I don't see he's doing. I don't think he's doing anything. I, I think prefer he's good as Anthony Ramos. I think this musical is it. He's the main character that like for some like just disappears for like forty minutes at a time, and then they keep like. Picking him back up, and they're like, "Oh, he! Look at him!" But and he's just like, "No, no, I just work at this bodega. I don't do anything." The issue with that right? though is like when you have something as like kind of charismatic as like Corey Hawkins on the screen as well. You kind of every time you see Usavo and Anthony Ramos, you're like, "I want to get back to Corey right, Hawkins." Because, but I don't think it's Anthony Ramos's fault. I think it's because Usnavi is a wet fucking blanket. Yeah, yeah. He just fair. doesn't do I mean, anything. This is, I don't. Want, I mean, obviously to get into it, like I think from a direction standpoint. There it's it's so passe. It feels like Chris Columbus directing a musical again. Um, Which, this might as well have been Rent again. Well, I mean, um, yeah. Like every numbers pit, like we said, is, is pointed out. The the little fun things that Cho tries to do, like when they do the ninth number on the chain link fence, and he draws it out. It's just so annoyingly animated and so annoyingly classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and its musical elements are the you know how staged and blocked out it is just feels 
unearned. But uh, the biggest problem with this is just Lynn Manuel Miranda sucks like completely and entirely. The music in this, like this, is going back to like uh, you know a um, criticism of, of I guess the music itself. It feels. The way that the tempos and the beats work and everything feel, and the way in which kind of like it thematically works or the music works in the sense of the story feels like it's just ripping off John, what Jonathan Larson was doing, you know, 15 years earlier. Um, and it's, which it's is, a real bummer that he's doing Tick, Tick, Boom, which isn't a good musical anyhow. But Well, I mean, Rent isn't a, a good musical either. But. No, but it's like at least that was kind of like a modernization well, so I think time of so, bringing something of like changing right. the scene. And I think if you ask Lin Manuel Miranda about that stuff, he is, if nothing, a a hip hop artist to say that he borrows liberally from other sources and then integrates them into his own vision. I just think There's, the vision here is pretty lacking. Yeah, and a lot of this music isn't hip hop like, or even interesting. Yeah, or anything. I mean, the hip hop I mean, the hip hop numbers are at least like their own flair. But, like, most right. of this musical's traditional 90s, early 2000s music. Right. And I thought, like, I think the intro, the in, the Washington Heights song, I think, is interesting and, and, and good and kind of sets everything up. I think Sonny's verses in the 96, excuse me, the 96,000 song are are yeah. pretty pretty good. And they sound kind of cool. They have cool elements to them. I think everything, everything else, else with 96,000 is terrible. I think oh, my God. I fucking hate that song. Yeah. But I actually kind of hate all the songs. I mean, I don't think any of the songs here are really very good. I mean, to point that out, though, with Sonny, I think Gregory Diaz is solid, really He's good. In this. Yeah. Like, and, I think... a, and, like, the fact that he's a central part of it, I kind of want that entire DACA story to be, like, the story. I don't give a shit about the romance. Like, the, the Benny Nina stuff is is interesting just because I think both of them are anything else going on with her, with his grandmother, like, grand, quote-unquote, grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always forget how to say that word. Abuela? Yeah. Um, just as boring. Him buying out the, the bar is boring. Everything of that I just don't give a shit about. I'm more interested in, like, this this side story because the actors in there are more but that's, interesting. So that's – and this is the thing that I've been saying for a couple of days now. Is if you have a thing that's as old as in the Heights, fine. People love it. Whatever. Who fucking cares? The culture has changed. Adapt it. Nobody fucking cares about Vanessa and Usnavi. Nobody cares. You just kind of half acidly inserted this dreamer plot into it that actually is way more. Because that's not in the original. Play obviously it really? no because it was before the Dreamer Act. Well, I guess Daka wasn't. Yeah, into it, that's way more interesting than whether or not Usnavi and Vanessa get together. I don't care. I don't care at all. And that's the part of the problem is that there's no stakes to that relationship. If he moves to Dominican Republic and she doesn't, I don't care. If he stays and they have a kid together, I don't care. And the reason I think this this flops just has rent flopped, and something like Greatest Showman. Or well, Greatest Showman definitely didn't flop. No, but Greatest, but I'm saying, but Greatest Showman succeeded, or Rocket Man succeeds, is because there is a bit of like modernization or kind of like just trying to be in its time. Whereas this and Rent are so fucking old by oh, the time they, they come feel out. Feel so, and they do feel so old. Like I think, I think Greatest Showman fucking stinks. Yeah, but I get it. Got some good. It feels modern. It feels modern. Got like four okay songs in it. I'm gonna say okay. I will never say that they're good, 
But I know my kids know all the words to... I know my kids know all the words to all the songs. But four of them, lyrically, they're terrible. But they're catchy. I get it. I fucking get it. And that movie's got really charismatic people in it. And they're doing charismatic things. I just wish these they had given these people more things to do. And I wish they had used less CGI. What the hell? Oh, no. And so, not even just the CGI, but... If the, a movie is supposed to come out last year, Mario, and it has a whole year to sit and fester, it should have zero continuity problems. If a character is walking one way in one shot, they shouldn't be walking the other way in another shot. There should be no weird CGI green screen shots of Anthony Ramos splashing in a pool in the middle of 96,000. There should be no, like, just like really lazy editing in a movie that you've had a year to prepare to come out and these are the things that like this is supposed to be a hollywood blockbuster this movie made a like what is that 11 million dollars yeah. it came in second place behind quiet place part two. two yeah um you know, this is supposed to be a family a family movie. So you would think that like more people would be able to go would be going to the theaters to see this movie. But they didn't go. And why? And I think it's because I think it's just because it's boring. And like people ha- are just done with it. People are just over it. And I also think on top of that, if you read some of the reviews, it they're giving people are giving it a pass for being like the first kind of huge, you know, effusive sunshine summer movie to come out. I think they also, in the middle of all those things, are like, it's not really a very good movie. No. Like, let's just give it, let's give it a bunch of credit for being fun, but like, it doesn't really work. And I think that's true. And I think John Chu is a little out of his depth here. This feels very like uh, Rob Marshall going to direct anything other than Chicago, where he's everything is just kind of beyond. Well, we'll him. see. We'll see what he does with Little Mermaid, the musical. Oh my god, I know. It's gonna I, be awful. I gotta say though, as a, a person who hates musicals, I am looking forward to um, what is it? Everybody's talking about Jamie, the Richard E. Grant musical that's coming out. I don't know. Um, yeah. What's is a, a movie? Yeah. Oh. A film. Who else is in it? Um, nobody that I really know. But Richard E. Grant is in it, which yeah, is positive. Which is uh, which sometimes all you need. Not 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 interested in Dear Evan Hansen or Siren, you know. No, I'm not. Especially because it's Joe Wright. I'm not. Interested. I think. I think West Side Story is going to be interesting. I think West Side Story will probably be good. But you know what? Once again, getting to it though, you know what In Heights suffers from that West Side Story suffers from the Hamilton suffers from with all these fucking musicals. No white guys in underpants. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, if if there's a Broadway musical writer listening. Most of America doesn't give a fuck about your city and rehate your city. Yep. And we want to let you know, once again, stop writing fucking major musicals about your shit fucking city. Your city is not a character. Yep. Your city doesn't make your non-interesting characters more interesting because they live in that city. Yeah. Or unless they're in how many, how many Brooklyn chi- and do the how right How many thing. Chicago-based musicals are there? And Chicago's just as much of a city... A, a, a melting pot. It's probably even more interesting because you get to talk like Chicago. So yeah. You get to sing all those songs. When they make the Mayor of East Town musical, stand, you get to stand behind, you know, Wrigley Field and try to catch balls during batting practice. You That's, get to do that. It's fun. Wrigley Field's really nice. 
It's in a neighborhood. But yeah, I mean, not to shit on New York too much because like I'm gonna go there a lot this summer for like shows and whatnot, not musicals because fuck that, and, like concerts. Um, like stop making musicals about New York City. Just stop. There's enough. We we have we have enough music. Ten years from now, you can make a musical about New York. Well, didn't stop we about th- stop it. Stop it. Just, we just, just watched it. Do the right thing. I guess. I, I don't know how long ago that that's was. That's interesting. But that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> do, do the right thing. What is this movie? Is <laughs> the sad variation of do the right exactly. thing? Exactly. Isn't it? But, like, when you're making this movie, like, does John do the right ever thing stop for, to say, do like, do the right oh, thing for white people? Yeah, we should probably this, not. I was watching make this, this movie. going, like, this feels like do the right thing for, like, oh my God, we're upper s- middle class white people. We are Armand Whiting ourselves, like, all over this movie. No, no, we're not. Like, because we're. Saying it's for it's it's for white people. No, but but that's what he would say. Like this is this exactly. This is not for any of the nationalities that are represented in like the Carnival de Barrios or whatever. Like I'm fine with it looking. I'm fine with it looking nice. I'm fine with the representation and all that of it. But like, it is. I don't want to say clean because that sounds like I want like an undercurrent of something. But it it felt just too approachable it didn't feel like it belonged to any of those nationalities right real yeah um well especially since you know right i guess well that's washington heights is mostly black but this is listen this is what we're saying and this is this is maybe um i don't know this is our own personal i guess identification i don't even know what it would be about i want this movie i want this movie to be truly representative and it didn't at, at no point did it feel like it was representing anything other than like big budget musical filmmaking no it felt like this this is more what i'm saying is it fe- like whereas something like do the right thing which is kind of doing trying to do a similar sort of story kind of like grabs you by the you know by the not by the throat but grabs you by the collar and screams sure. at you watching in the heights i felt like oh i spent a hundred dollars as a mid flyover state Midwesterner to go watch a musical that I could tell all the people back at work when I get home from my trip to New York about. Mm. And this movie just felt like that again. Hmm. Yeah. It just felt like popcorn, cotton candy garbage. Yeah, and I feel like this... Which is exactly what the fuck Hamilton feels like. Well, and yeah... Hamilton's doing something more interesting, but it's, it's not... But this is what I said to but this is what I said to my wife when we were talking about this. I was like the one thing that like Lin Manuel Miranda if they ever make Hamilton into a movie, which I know they've sold the rights to and they could totally do it, is that there's songs that he cut out of this out of out of this out of Hamilton which talks directly about like the anachronism of these people that are being against slavery owning slaves or these people that are talking about freedom owning slaves and all this other stuff. He cut those movies out of his play um if you make a movie about this you got to put that shit back in in the same way that i think that like in the heights really needed to tackle some of the very unless you were setting this movie back in 2000 and whatever which maybe they were i mean i didn't really get a sense that they were doing that but maybe they were well they're talking they're talking about daca so like you said so they couldn't have been and they were talking about daca ending so this is modern day so if you're gonna do that stuff Adapt your mu- adapt your musical. Adapt it. Make it real. Make it seem real. Make it don't don't let it seem like some like fan- like ultra liberal fantasy world where like you know all we have to do is have a very sm- poorly attended rally about DACA and then Sonny gets to like live in America even though 
He says it's, you know, oh, this is going to be very hard, but he's got $96,000 in a lottery ticket, and Usnavi gets everything he wants, and Vanessa gets everything she wants, and Benny and Nina are fine, and I don't know what happens to Jimmy Smith. I guess he gets to keep his money or something. I don't know. Um, but, like, it's, it's, it's too, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it doesn't ever feel real enough, and something like this should feel real, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. I don't know. I mean, I don't think we're speaking out of turn here. I, don't, I feel like our our own, um, like, you know, race and nationality is not, like, influencing this. I just, I want it to be more real. I want it to feel more urgent. I want it to feel like it matters. I don't want, like, it to just feel, try to feel as fun as possible. Because if it's just about feeling fun, guess what? You didn't make a very fun movie. Watching fabric, like, fall from the sky is not super fun. Watching a guy all of a sudden, like, write the lottery numbers on towels with suntan lotion is not cool. Or anything. I didn't even know what the fuck he was doing. It's visual, man. I'm so mad that this movie wasn't better. It bums me out. I I didn't have high hopes. I know you didn't, Mario. It met those hopes. I know. I know. Good for you. That's why, I did it. that's why you're the you're the winner of this podcast. Because I'm always a cynic. No, well, because to be fair, I had you don't very, get roped into the stuff. Like I had this. super low hopes for our next film, um, and they were exceeded. Uh, the film is set in Washington Heights, um, and it is you know about a white guy who's stuck inside of a room in Washington Heights, but he does some musical numbers. And by Washington the, Heights, you mean California? Yeah, basically the same thing. Uh, but yeah, now, now this is Bo Burnham's inside. too much context in this sense in like the introduction to this movie as in or as if that's how this movie should be framed because you don't really get a sense of any of the you don't get a sense of any of that stuff contextually until like the very end of the film and you have to kind of do some piecing together suffice it to say that 
Um, Bo Burnham was going to go on... It sounds like Bo Burnham was going to go on tour uh, or he was preparing material to go on tour in 2020 and then the pandemic happened. And so he shut himself in to a room of his house uh, with was some... This is, this is his first special for... for five years right too because he because he had some he was he having like panic attacks yeah. and stuff on stage um or before he went on stage or whatever um so he got some uh remote controlled lights and he got some he got a camera and he has his laptop and his his keyboard and his cables and in some lighting rigs and stuff like that and he uh, made a special and it's got skits and it's got songs and it feels like a Bo Burnham stand-up special but in his room with more underwear um, than, and more facial hair and a beard, than yeah. we're usually used to Bo Burnham seeing more maybe more crying I, I, I mean I watched some of his specials like I've in watched, preparation I've for watched like one special I don't before. really like Bo Burnham as a comedian I um, watched what? I don't remember oh, yeah, I'm not a big Bo Burnham comedian. yeah I, I don't think he's very funny I don't think his song's very funny I, I again complicated feelings. Um, my first reaction to this though was that I liked it. Yeah, same. Um, I I start out incredibly frustrated by it because it feels hammy and Bo Burnham esque um, in the sense of like you know when he's doing that entire uh, how the world works song, mm. the kind of apologeticisms of it. Although um, it seems more focused than his stand up specials do. It does, but well, I'm starting. It starts out like that, but eventually, when it kind of turns, and when it goes from being less like global kind of joke or kind of like global, like oh blah 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 sort of thing, like position of privilege, and instead focuses more on just like his own issues and the fact that it's used as a veil for himself, um, and you know, leading to that really great like all eyes on me song, right? Like that's when like it, it worked for me is because it starts out. I think it, it follows a, a really smart narrative arc, surprisingly. Yeah. And it starts out like being this kind of like, it's another Bo Burnham special. It's because he's doing the kind of like, ha, jokes on the world sort of thing or what everyone else does. And then suddenly it just becomes less funny. <laughs> um, right. And becomes sadder. And sadder not in the sense of like what he's saying, but just in the sense of like how he's narratively unfolding things. Um, uh, yeah. Not even what you're seeing visually, but the songs and the ways in which they're being produced mm-hmm. until eventually kind of has that like slight up slightish uptick in the end but even it's like the it is like the classical definition of the comedy in terms of things going way deep down into the pit mm-hmm. and then just you know that slight microscopic notch back up a little bit yeah 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 um yeah so i think it really works in that way uh i, I usually don't like his music but i think the the overall music in this really fucking works like, yeah i think i've thought about that but really solid yeah. um Maybe a little, like the chord progression and all that's pretty simplistic, but it has a lot of synth wave well, inspiration he, he, that I really um, like. He is he calls himself at one point like the Weird Al, like Millennial Weird Al, and I only think he's a Millennial Weird Al in the sense. Of, I mean, he's no Weird Al, no. but he's a Millennial Weird Al in the sense that I think he's focuses more on pastiches of styles. Yeah, so he doesn't ever have to worry about like writing songs. He just gets like, this is a song that sounds like this, so my chord progressions can, or the music to this can ape like any number of other songs that are exactly like the song that he's trying to do, which is on purpose. Which is, and, and it's intentional, because right. like, when something needs to focus more on his facial expressions and on his acting, um, which has proved himself to be, you know, with promising young woman to be a song, I don't know, I can't think of anything else 
acting wise is. I thought I heard he was in like another thing, but I didn't see it and I didn't know what it was. But he's proved himself to be a solid actor, yeah. and it shows again here. Um, and he's proved himself to be a solid director with with eighth grade, and it, it continues here. It's, yeah, he's showing a shit ton of promise. Um, and it continues to work. He's he's got it. He's got a strong grasp on a tight narrative, and and that's what. I mean, maybe sometimes the narrative doesn't work, but there is not a considerable amount of fat here, which I enjoyed. Well, it's interesting. I mean, because I think it's, yeah, there's not a considerable amount of fat. It's, it's, it feels slow, but it was never not interesting because I kept wanting to see how he was going to do the next thing because it's actually proved to, it proves to be a very inventive, um, kind of like one man show. And like, so... I looked at it as a guy who sleeps next to a four-track recorder hooked up to an amp, hooked up to this mixer, which I took apart to come to this thing, which is hooked up to, like, a microphone and stuff like that. So I'm – I know emotionally, I know the frustrations and kind of highs and lows of trying to create something by yourself. Of, of of just kind of winging it sometimes and just kind of like seeing if stuff works or just like trying stuff out. So I loved the interstitial moments when like it's him trying to get the lighting down or something. Yeah, or him no, playing okay. with the lights. Because it shows you that it, the year that he took on this was not... It was probably stupid, stupid, stupid fucking shit like sitting with a lighting rig on his lap and trying to sync it to something on his computer and timing stuff and playing stuff out and being like, this is when this is going to happen. And then figuring out that, like, I want a light hit here. I don't have any way to get a light hit. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, in my underpants, singing about how I'm 30, I'm going to hold a flashlight and I'm going to flash it out from behind my back every time I sing, like, a note. Like, every time I hit, like, a specific rhythm, I'm going to do that. That shit is, I mean, the, the thing that I took away from this before I started thinking about it too much is that, like, I hope that when the next MacArthur Fellowship, like, winners get announced, that Bo Burnham's one of them. I hope he gets a genius grant because I think he's a genius. Like, I think this cements Bo Burnham millennial does, does artistic need, genius. Does he need that, though? Like, the money-wise? No, no, no. That's, ah, yes, Mario, thank you. The other thing that I thought after I watched this movie was that it's a fucking lie. That he's a fucking liar. You know why he's a liar, Mario? Two reasons. One, we think, we are led to believe from the beginning of this movie to the end of this movie that this is somehow, in some way, Bo Burnham's house. And it's not. It's Bo Burnham's fucking property. This is very clearly a guest, house. a guest house on his property. Yeah, his kitchen. He doesn't have a kitchen in his living room. Okay, but I, but like the way that it, I was like, maybe he lives in like this kind of shotgun style, like house or no, the whatever. The second I saw the kitchen, I was like, oh, he's in his guest house. Right, but at the end of the movie, you see it's a guest house. Okay, then almost at the end of the movie, when before he does the hands up thing, when he starts, he has that like he has that monologue about how he's going to go on the road. I was like, oh. He wrote most of these songs for his new special. He didn't just he didn't spend a year writing and directing and making this thing. Most of the songs were written 
before this special even started. Because that's why he doesn't mention the pandemic at all in it. Because all of these songs are relevant to the pandemic world, but are just as relevant to a 2020 without a pandemic. About how the internet is ruining culture. About Jeff Bezos being this kind of like like hilariously evil overlord. About the ways in which like we interact with each yeah, other. And there's over a the couple, internet. like FaceTime with my mom. I he probably wrote that. Sure, sure, sure. I think he wrote the ending song after the pandemic started, which is why it's not as good as any of the other songs. Because he just wrote it. Which is not the same. Face off with my mom's funny. Face off with my mom's super funny. It's also like a minute and a half long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, that everything all of the time song, the sexting song, which is also hilarious. The first half of the sexting song is g- fucking genius. The Aladdin song. Um, all of these songs were written to perform on stage, I'm assuming. Um, and that's why he could play them so well. Because he's a genius and he's really good at piano. And he, but he knew these songs really well because he had been writing them probably for a while. But he never mentions any of that in the thing. He makes it seem like, from beginning to end, this was a thing he did during the pandemic. I have no confirmation of any of those theories about like him writing the, the, the music beforehand. But it makes a lot of sense. And, but if I had to guess, if I had to guess, I would say he knew all that. And this is part of it. Yeah, and I think... That's part of the message. I think it's a character. Like, he's playing a character. She's playing a character, but it also is the idea that he's not telling you stuff. The idea that you're supposed to think of him as a specific thing um, based solely on what you're seeing on Netflix or, like, a YouTube clip or an Instagram whatever or... I don't know. TikTok. Or a tiki Is that what they're calling them now? Remember they're calling them tweeters? A tiki when there's a, the the twit tweeters tweeters, um, what? You call them TikTokers? No, no. The old people would call like tweets tweeters. Mm. I've been tweetering or something. I don't know. I've not heard that. Doesn't matter. Um, I think it's part of it. I think he's projecting an image, and he wants you to think a thing. And I think that's why the ending he sets up the ending as he does. Like if you're paying attention, you will understand what this ending means. I was not locked in this room for a year. I spent a bunch of time in this room, and then I would go to my house. Hang out with my wife. And hang out with my wife, and watch regular TV, and all this other stuff. However, I still think it's fucking cool that he did it. It's yeah. really fucking cool. Because he clearly did, like, all the setup stuff by... I, I, I believe he did all the setup oh, stuff yeah. by himself. He did everything by himself. Like, he, I fully, 100% believe... I think he's... I don't think it's necessarily... I think it's just because... He, I don't think he was, like, depressed about it. I think he was excited about it he's kind of shown himself to be kind of like this type who enjoys that sort of creation yeah, but like, especially as a YouTube like a the old he starts out his career as a YouTuber who like notoriously YouTubers are like really obsessive about like having control over everything right and I but I, and I think he's 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 a genius he's he is a creative he's an artistic genius of this millennium thing there's a an author um, named Tao Lin that he reminds me a lot of not necessarily in their subject matter but in the way that they kind of manipulate the current infrastructure of the culture to make a point about that culture and I think that's what Inside is and it's not my favorite thing I've ever seen um, but it left a mark for sure I watched it and I was like huh I th- that's a thing you know what I mean mm. that that's that that works on some level that 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 hits. 
And I think in this day and age when, like, a lot of this new stuff that we're watching, you know, we're in June now. All the stuff that's on my list of, like, you know, or not even anything that's on my list. All the stuff I really responded to, I watched before, I watched by February. The Father was, like, the last thing that I watched, The you know, that was, like, bam, yeah. hit me. Everything else is just kind of like, and like, we watched this next thing we're going to talk about. There's a movie that everyone was like, "Oh, this is a really great movie." Um, Violation. Did you watch Violation? I did not. Um, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this movie stinks." She's uh, the 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 lead performance is fucking astounding, but from a directorial standpoint and from a narrative standpoint, the movie is just awful, and it doesn't make any sense, and it's ridiculous, and. Um, I feel terrible for the character and I wish the things that happened to her never happened to her, but the way that they went about resolving those feelings is hilarious. Um, and I think that's, I, I honestly believe that's 2021 is going to be, is that we're going to get a bunch of setup here, Mario. We're going to be like, this is all this stuff is good because now you can go to movie theaters to watch it. And in reality, everything will be kind of only okay. That's how I feel. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. That's how I feel. I'm not... I can't even think of many... I think all the things I'd be stoked for would have been 2020. Like, that I think might might work and be extremely great are going to be 2020 things that carried over. Yeah, they do. Like, Green Knight. I think right. Green Knight could really work, but that's a 2020 thing. And he's... But he's... David Lowry's one of those guys that has never made a bad movie. We talked about... Uh, you, we were texting about Garbage the other day. And you were like, I kind of think the new Garbage record. And I was like, well, Garbage has never made a bad album. Like, I don't even think those, those four people don't know how to make bad records. It's, uh, David Lowry's never going to make a bad movie. I mean, he made a Disney Live adaptation. was like, oh, I'm going to make this great. He made a Disney Live adaptation, which was awesome. Which had an amazing... If we were doing the podcast the year Pete's Dragon came out, I would have put one of those scenes in my top ten moments. Because it was fucking killer. But it's Pete's Dragon. And it's for, <laughs> and it's for Disney. But... I think, but this is why, like, this, the next movie we're going to talk about hit, like, even, hit harder than, like, the, the other two movies in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? It was weirdly more interesting than, than Inside or in that, and definitely more interesting than in Heights. Um, but, like, it, had, it shares an ethos with Inside, but was, like... Weirdly more interesting while being less successful. Well, it's once again somebody that had complete control over his, his work uh, because of, was it Lutheran Service Society being I like, did, here's the money. I did not know that until after I watched it. And then like when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes much more sense as to why this movie got made at all. I just... Uh, so, yeah, the movie we're talking about is the... Uh, until... 2019, um, and then now released in 2021 on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Got Shudder back. Got got to watch some crappy horror movies over the next month. That's Violation is streaming on Shudder. Oh, is it? Yeah. There's a movie where people have to kill. There's it's like a 70 minute horror movie from this year where like a group of five teens have to kill every somebody. Oh, what's that? I don't know. I remember what's called. Okay. I just read the description. It's like, or it. their head explodes. What? That's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I have to watch this. Can my kid watch it? 
Because that sounds like that. he would be all over that. Nice. But the editor is on there, which is a movie I've wanted to watch. It's from 2014. Oh, okay. It's from the guys at the Psycho Gorman, but apparently oh, it's yeah, much yeah, yeah. better than Psycho Gorman. It's like a editor accidentally creates a Gallo movie in real life. I want to watch a Psycho Gorman movie. No good. Did I review that on this? Mm-mm. I didn't. It's it's fine. You got it some press. Yeah, it's fine. It's got some really good creature effects. Um, the girl in it is a really the young girl in it is a really impressive actress. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people said, like she's so annoying and terrible. And it's like that's the point. She's mm-hmm. supposed to be like the villain of it. Oh okay. Um, but like some of the jokes are kind of like super on the nose and. I mean, come on. It just feels like a. Like those late 80s. It just really doesn't feel like an homage to late 80s, early 90s, like creature horror comedies. Mm-hmm. It kind of just feels like one of them. Mm, I know what you mean then. Yeah. So it just kind of feels like of that ilk. When you can just kind of watch one of those. It's got Rich Evans as a voice, which is always great. Hmm. Red Letter Media, which I've become obsessed with. What movie are we talking about? Uh, but we are talking about the now released on Shudder from George A. Romero from Beyond the Grave. Look at that. Doing the zombie things again. <laughs> uh, it is the amusement park. Ah, two young lovers. You want your fortune told. We want to see what our life is going to be like. What part of life? When we get old. Are you sure? Yeah. You must see it all to the end. There's nothing outside. I'm going outside anyway. There's nothing outside. Nothing. One of these times, the door will open in your life, and you will step into the amusement park. Hope, anticipation for the future, and curiosity for what you will find there. The man in the amusement park is a mirror image of yourself, separated only by the passage of time. Why are you Hello? There's nothing. Nothing out there. I'll see for myself. Bye. It's interesting. I'll see you in the park someday. It's interesting to hear like a modern trailer for this film. Because mm. <laughs> it's not, not a film you'd expect to hear a modern trailer for. Well, very <laughs> unmodern a, movie. Yeah, for a very unmodern film. As we said, this film was... Uh, it's. it's 53, 52 minutes long. It was commissioned as an educational film by the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania. Love it. Love about, it. About uh, elder abuse. That's why it's framed by Lincoln Mazel saying, like, you know, like, how we mistreat our elders, and finishes with him saying, like, if you want to be a good Samaritan and a good person and not have this happen to you, uh, there's some services you can reach out to. I just thought it was part of the movie. Yeah, it feels like it. It does. Because it works so well. Uh, interesting enough, Lincoln Mizell would go on to live for 36 more years after this. Huh. He was 70. Was he actually 71? Like 70, I think. Wow. He, he dies at 106. <clears throat> Holy shit. Good for him. I guess. I guess. So I guess he did not have elder abuse issues for a while. Because 
He was lively and kicking for a, for a good long time. Yeah, he looked like he kicked somebody's ass. Uh, anyhow, this film is kind of shot. It, it's it's uh, framed in a way of like six characters in search of an exit sort of style. And mm-hmm. uh, that Lincoln Mazel playing an unnamed old man is sitting there beaten down when a younger, not so much younger, but fresh-faced Lincoln Mazel comes up to him and goes like, hey, what's going on? I'm going to go outside. Do you want to go outside? And he's like, don't go outside. Mm-hmm. You do not want to go outside. He's like, I'm going to go outside. And he goes outside. He opens up a door, and he just happens to be in an amusement park. And this amusement park just happens to be American culture of all time. Uh, it's definitely 1971 American culture, but it still, it's still American stands culture. today. Yeah. Uh, he first encounters, and I don't, I'm trying to think of what this could, I mean, people talk about the Pressburger operas and plays that is like, like I read the Roger Ebert reviews, but I, I was trying to think of what this reminds me of in terms of its um, absurdism and its. Reminds me of, um, it reminds me of like a J.G. Ballard story, but it also reminds yeah, me a lot of like a Cronenberg movie. Not Ballard, like Ballard's not, more, I think, was I was thinking of. right, but it, like the um, the simplicity with which he presents that kind of absurdity, absurdity, or even like a Norman Justice. If we're talking mm. Phantom Tollbooth, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a joke. Like, it kind of reminds me of that sort of era because he goes first to a ticket taker who is ripping off a bunch of old people with their antiques mm-hmm. and giving them five dollars each, selling whatever they can. Uh, he buys some tickets for the amusement park. And it goes on a variety of exciting rides, including the ride that only lets you go on it if your income's above $3,500, which at the time was like 22000 so mm-hmm. if you're above the poverty level. And if you didn't have a set of various sorts of ailments, mm-hmm. uh, he rides that ride, and he seems to not very much enjoy himself. The roller, that's the roller yeah. coaster, right? Yeah. Nobody else does. He eventually goes on a train ride where he's behind him, an elderly couple, uh, you know, the wife deals with the death of her husband. Uh, that scene's... I love, I love how that scene's handled. How, like... Which part? The train ride or, like, the coffin scene? Um, everything. But the fact of how when she gets... he He's on the ride. The couple's behind him. He starts, like, having a heart attack or something. Mm-hmm. And immediately cuts him getting off the ride. And she's just on the ride. And he's not on it with anymore. With death next to her? No, it's, she's by himself at that point. Oh, the, there's when is death? Ne- there's a point when he looks over his shoulder and the guy dressed as yeah, death. Yeah, I think is that's like there. a little earlier, but okay. then like he's just off of it. Um, eventually, other things happen throughout his day. Uh, the reason he looks beaten up in the end is uh, you know, he gets beaten up by a biker gang. Oh man, the, that biker gang getting closer and closer scene was just the best. It was um, so seventies. Yeah. He goes into a funhouse, which is just a hospice rehabilitation center and why wasn't he having fun (laughs) yeah uh he tries to talk to after getting beaten down he tries to talk to a young girl and read her the three little pigs and you know the parent and the little girl aren't having anything for and they just kind of leave him Mm -hmm. um and eventually he goes back into the building uh beaten down and a younger from the early day fresh-faced him comes in and goes like what's wrong let's go outside it's gonna be fun um, and as I mentioned, I don't know, did I mention this off here? The, the, no, I, I didn't say this. The, the best sequence for me, though, during his day in the amusement mm. park is uh, the fortune teller sequence yeah, where yeah. a young couple goes in to um, a fortune teller to see what their fate holds for them. Mm-hmm. And apparently their fate holds for them is that he, they are going to live 
in a shanty town sort of apartment uh, where, you know, they're not really paying their rent or keeping up with it. So why should the landlord do repairs and who's actually going to pay for these repairs? Do you want to buy the building? Because no, you don't. And the woman has to keep walking down the street to use the phone. Yeah, walking down the street to use a phone and nobody gives her a dime. And the doctor, even though he's, he's paid and been on time, will not make a house call whatsoever. And she has to kind of... having a party. Yeah. She has to climb up the stairs, almost broken herself, and see her husband dead on the ground while there's a marching band playing outside. Yeah, um, yeah this movie is, is a surrealist nightmare. Of course, it, um, as you said, it feels like DJ Ball- J.G. Ballard mm-hmm. or, like, like I said, Norman Justice or even like a Salvador Dali painting kind of come to mm. life. Um, got a little of that vanilla element to it. Uh, yeah, to shirt. yeah, 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 for um, sure. It is, it's horrific. It, I mean, if the Lutheran Society of Western Pennsylvania wanted a movie about elder abuse, this is 100% a movie about elder abuse, but also a movie about how... A lot of elder abuse stems from the vast amounts of systemic racism, the vast amounts of wealth inequality, as it's mentioned in the very beginning. I'm yeah. sure when the Lutheran Society heard that in the beginning, they're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Why did we let the Night of the Living Dead guy <laughs> do this movie? That, that horror movie that's mostly about racism and... Fear of McCarthyism and, and police violence. Oh, geez, really, I just yeah, I really love that. He, up. I love that he even got as far as to finishing it, and they were just like, <laughs> I'm sure nope. I'm surprised the Lucifer side was like, you know what, you're from Pittsburgh, you should do this. And it's like, did they watch that? <laughs> did at this point? Maybe they, they they probably did, and they probably gave him some instructions to tone it down, and he did. But like, just but like <laughs> tone down the violence, sure, and, but. Toned up everything. The, the psychic despair. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. And that's, that's. I mean, people would say, like, why would, you know, this is pure a horror film, but it's a horror film that most works because it is a reflection of the world that they lived in in 1973 and a reflection of the world we live in in 2021. Before you came here, I was reading about how, you know, um, a, a politifact comment about Chuck Grassley. Hmm. <laughs> and whether or not something he had said was true, and they rated it true, in the fact that now a vial of insulin costs three hundred seventy dollars when it costs like ten dollars to manufacture, mm. and that people are not taking insulin because of the fact that you know they just uh, they want to eat. Is Martin day. Screlly out of jail? Is he? I don't know. No, no, well, that's the EpiPen thing, right? No, he was the um, What's the he? AIDS vaccine. Oh, he was the AIDS vaccine. Who was the EpiPen one? The EpiPen one was somebody else, or just whatever in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the nightmares and horrors of 1973 uh, stem out 38 years later. Um, it, yeah, it feels very um, it feels Yep, and it, it feels the commentary is um, uh, very valid. Still, in the way that it's done. Um, and while it's in your face, it never feels like... It never... It is so surreal that it never feels ham. Ham No, because it's so unsettling. Yeah. Even when it goes ham, if you've watched enough movies, you can contextualize it and just put it out of your head. So I mentioned, like, the biker gang being, like, the... Boom. Bloom, bloom, and like being closer and closer and closer without walking, just like the shots, they become closer. That's like a very 70s, like indie filmmaking thing to do. But it 
it, but it works in like ratcheting up the dread of like what is supposed to be happening here and it is it feels again i didn't know like the true the nature of like this film before i watched it so i just thought the introduction was a really expert way to kind of to get us into this movie and to get into what the movie's about and then everything that happens right after that um is just like a further um I don't know, demonstration of how, like, fucked up the world is in term like, in regards to its its elderly. But then it just keeps doing weird, awesome stuff. Like, the two guys carrying the huge book, which I guess is a Bible. Or a Book of the Dead. But it doesn't even matter. I thought it was the Book of the Dead. Yeah, I thought so too, but, like, I was like, oh, maybe it's a Bible because there's a casket there and, like, there's the priests there. Oh, my God, when the priests, like, start looking at the kids. Yeah, they, like, tossle their hair. Did you not freak the fuck? I mean, obviously it wasn't the intention, but it's because it feels so modern. Like, I watched that going, like, I know what they're thinking. I watched the whole movie going, like, making that face. And I kept waiting for it to kind of, like I said, to go over the edge to the horror stuff. And it never really did in the physical horror. But it definitely did in the emotional horror. But I I kept thinking, because I watched this after I watched Inside, I kept thinking about those two movies together and how, like, these these are people working. There's a certain group of people, and John Chu isn't one of these people, unfortunately, um, that... Well, like speak- George Romero's not working anymore. No, no, but like in history, that yeah. sp- that thought in terms of film, that that spoke that their 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 language that they were most comfortable speaking was film, and I think Bo Burnham is one of those people. George Romero is one of those people, um, because they could take a thing, they could take a limited budget, and they could take an idea, and they can make you um, feel. They can make you, like, force you to invest yourself emotionally in whatever it is that they're doing. This movie, in a lot of ways, is wholly ridiculous. Never feels ridiculous when you're watching it. Not for one second. Did it ever feel like, this is stupid, this is low budget, this is low brow, whatever. Feels bad. Like, it feels shitty to watch this movie, which is how it's supposed to feel. It like succeeds in all its in, in in on all levels, and this is where this is why George Romero is held up as somebody that matters still, like all these years later, um, because he was able to do stuff like this. Yeah, I, this is this is maybe going to be a, a big take, a, a rapid take here. I think this is one of well, this film might be one of the best examples of like new Hollywood, that new that mm. American new wave. Mm. Um, even more more so than like something like Easy Rider, like five you, easy pieces. Or that makes no sense. But everyone talks about how like that's the American new wave, that's the new Hollywood films. But I think you know this and some of the, like what Norman Jewison was doing during the time mm-hmm. with um, in the heat of the night, um, and then like Jesus Christ, even like Jesus Christ Superstar or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like just having that real weird experimentation, <clears throat> having that you know what Scorsese would eventually do with Mean Streets and. Yeah. Um, in terms of music with Mean Streets and what do you do with like Taxi Driver um what do you like I wouldn't necessarily it's not American but like I wouldn't call that um like Zabrinsky Point or whatnot, like those really experimental shit like that really diving deep into escaping like the 60s like Barbarella kind of 
crazy funness, but like still being very Hollywood because it's pop, it's bubblegummy. Yeah. And then instead in being inventive for the sake of making a comment. Right. You know? Well, and um, so, I mean, it's that, to your point, I think, Easy Rider, I think, and Five Easy, five easy Pieces, I'm not sure, counts. Easy Rider, I've always had a big problem with because it seems so unfocused. Mm-hmm. But, like, all the movies you mentioned, plus, like, stuff like Putney Swope. I was about to mention Putney Swope. Exactly. Um, feel very focused. They're idea movies. Where, where. Or, um, like, what Borman's doing around mm, the time with, like, mm. Deliverance and everything. Oh, well, yeah, because they're trying to convey. They're trying to convey something very specific where I think Easy Rider was just like, we don't know, thing. we're just going to do this thing best, well, and let it roll and see what happens. I mean, I guess I guess the entire like aspect of the American New Wave was like that it was kind of a blend of the French New Wave, which had a lot of – a lack of focus. Like, mm-hmm. Godard had no focus whatsoever. Like, was, you know, he's doing with the weekend. Rain it in, Mario. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to criticize him because that's the, the entire aspect of the French New Wave. No, no, no. I'm not even waiting for you to – you're free and, like – uh, justified in your criticism. It's just one of those things like Mario can do a half hour on what he doesn't like about Godard. No, like oh, no, no, no. But like, but but I think so. I think that's kind of like what is happening with something like I'm not drunk, so that's that, we're lucky there. Um, <laughs> but I'm drunk, I can go off. Uh, so like, I don't think Godard works, but Godard's doing his own thing with like the French New Wave, yeah. whereas like the Italian New Wave is known for its like control. Yep, um, and. You know, Italian neoliberalism and whatnot. Um, neo, yeah, sorry, not new wave. Italian neorealism is known for its control. Like I'm reading, swimming um, in the pond by the whatever the George Saunders book mm-hmm. right now, and he talks about Vittorio De Sica's bicycle thieves. He talks about the control in the entire sequence yeah. after the boy gets slapped to getting the pizza, and mm-hmm. about how everything has Love has it. deliberation there. Um, and you know, the American New Wave was kind of that new Hollywood was a blend of the two of the lack of control and the, the tight amount of control. And I think this, <clears throat> while it's so surreal, has such a focus and such a control where everything is meant to drive right. home its thematic point. But that's what you want. And that's what Romero did. Like, until Romero kind of like got older and could kind of make movies because people were throwing him money. But in, when he was tied, like his hand, like sure. he was tied because of, in you know, with things like the crazies with things like he would do with Dawn of the Dead um, with what did he do that he did with Argento with Argento and mm-hmm. like when he he had some of this creativity but still had to like do have some sort of control with it he still had to find a way he, he did that yeah. well Dawn of the Dead to an extent the pie scene is weird in Dawn of the Dead <laughs> well that's like I've never it's one of the reasons that Shadows is on my the pivotal film list instead of something like Easy Rider because I thought what Cassavetes was doing was way more interesting slash braver than whatever Dennis Hopper was doing in Easy Rider. You know what I mean? Because Easy Rider, Easy Rider just seems so easy. You know what I mean? Just like show some guys not giving a shit, doing drugs and talking in in the desert, riding motorcycles. Like, yeah, that's obviously like this is a metaphor for like you know a certain generation of America and how they're dealing with it and how they're how they're confronting. Um, like the history and the nature of America's culture. Um, well, my problem with that, my problem with Easy Rider is just it feels like a, a Jodorinsky without like any of that sort of creativity. Well, I mean, you're giving. Is that you're say his still, name? Is that you say his name? Jodorowsky. Yeah. Jodorowsky. You're still giving Easy Rider like almost too much credit. 
Like, I mean, Dennis Hopper would have literally killed a hundred more people than he already killed. And I don't know anything about Dennis Hopper. I'm just assuming Dennis Hopper killed somebody to make something like the Holy Mountain. You know what I mean? Like, easy, but, but I think you're right in the sense that I think it tried to approach its surrealism from this kind of naturalistic point of view. In the same way that Jodorowsky did in that documentary he released last year, and I forget the name of it now. About keep, the therapy documentary. I keep forgetting he's not dead. No, he's still making movies. And they're still fucking nuts. Did you Go, watch that documentary? Godard, Godard also keeps making movies. Well, those and movies are nuts too, but they're better movies. The Image Book was actually really, really interesting. Okay, the Jodorowsky movie is just an advertisement for Jodorowsky as therapist. Um, was that like uh, Psycho Magic? Yeah, Psycho Magic. Okay. Did you watch I, Psycho Magic? You should watch it. Is it. If it's free somewhere, you should watch it because it's fucking crazy. And also the image book, I guess. But the image book is the image book is like a movie. Um, Psycho Magic is filmed like uh, uh, um, Psycho Magic is literally on, on on Vimeo. So yeah, that's where I watch <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's filmed like um, like a low budget kind of. Uh, it's like a video camera. It's like a it's like a commercial grade video camera. It's it's awful. But like the situations that he puts these people in in in. The hopes of curing them of whatever, like psychological ailment is 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 ruining their life. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, it's just it, this stuff is more interesting. The focus that a horror director has to have, the focus that a surrealist director has to have, is going to be that is going to be inherently greater than that of someone who doesn't have any skills doing either of those things. Which is why Easy Rider is what it is. And something like Night of the Living Dead is what it is. Or Shadows is what it is. Or, you know, even something like, you know, even something like Band of Outsiders, which I know you don't like. But, like, it, Godard had an aesthetic that he was, that he was trying to achieve. You know what I mean? And the narrative of the film um, was in service of that aesthetic. And that's very prevalent there, where Easy Rider is just like... Oh, all that stuff is great. I'm going to do all those things. It's actually it's actually weekend that this movie reminds me of. The entire time I've been thinking of it, it's been it's been weekend. Yeah. But I just weekend is odd for its own sake and for no real central purpose whereas this is odd for a, for a reason. very real and reason. And it's successful. Again, I I was disappointed at the end that it never went all the way. I'm happy that it didn't go all the way cuz I think but I think because it, I it think it's, it remains Grounded. Yeah, it remains. I think if like it had gone into because somebody tried to mention that like it's a body horror and it's like it's not a body horror. It's just about getting old. Yeah, how is it a body horror? Because people are fucking idiots. People are idiots. Like reviewers need to like write terms to be like I need a flash word. So when you search on Google for body horror, my review for the amusement park pops. Well, I'm gonna be. So this is one of the. It's not. It's just. It's. It's a really. It's a really solid horror piece on. Getting old. Well, ho- and, and I and think the screaming out about like how so all Medicaid is. Like you could make this movie. I know working in Medicaid. I know you could make this movie today, right? And be. But here's the problem. It's just as horrific. There's two. Ho- there's two horror movies released. We've talked about two or you know on this podcast we've featured two horror movies in the last month. Spiral, and this. How are they the same? They're not. Horror is now become this kind of ever-present... Quick, quick cuts. I, I guess so. Um, or like a, a general sense of dread. 
is how you establish like what a horror movie is versus what it isn't. In a couple weeks, we're going to have two horror movies again, too. Which is? We're going to have uh, Fear Street and uh, Werewolves Within. Oh, you are all on this Fear Street thing. <laughs> I don't understand it either. I'm interested. I'm just, what the, I don't, yeah, I don't see how they're justifying it, but... Like, just being like, yeah, we're going to make this super hardcore R. Why is there nudity in a Fear Street movie? I don't know. Unless it's Jillian Jacobs. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. She was just in Magic Camp. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With Adam Devine. This is also... It's another camp movie, though. Right. But it's not Magic Camp. It's not for (laughs) Disney Plus. But no, they're they're not the same. You're right. They're... One is... But categorically, like, we've just decided, like, oh, horror. Yeah, I, I, I... But that I think, w- but that's just like categorically, many things are many things, right? Like, right. But I think in the horror genre, people expect very specific things. So when there's people walking around with bandages on their heads, a lot of people are going to be like, "That's body horror," because it fits into it hits these categorical marks. But in reality, it's just arms. Yeah, body horror is like a hand like reaching out of like from that head or something like that. You know what I mean? Or like someone reaching I mean, I, into the head yeah. and like splitting it apart or anything. Yeah, aliens, body horror. Like, yeah, like, like to an extent. See, argumentative. Like, I can. Yeah, I. I can't do this. Like, we need I, to be intoxicated. We're not. I, no, I can't do this because, like, I. I know I'm going. Because if I was intoxicated, I'd just do it. Right. That's but what like I'm saying. The, the the cut scene. You're thinking too one much. One of the greatest sequences that's ever been cut, and it's like obviously I understand why it's cut. But like one of the scenes I wish was never cut, um, from Alien mm-hmm. is. Uh, is, is one of the best examples of body horror is mm-hmm. when I don't remember um, the character's name, but Henry, Harry Dean Stanton's character gets killed early on. Mm, yeah. And then Dallas is like tied to, like he gets killed, but you don't like kind of off screenish. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a deleted sequence where like, you know, Dallas is stuck to the wall waiting to get a face hugger and the face hugger is being created from the body of Harry Dean Stanton. Like, that's how the eggs are created, is from other organic material. It's, it's a, I don't know why it was, because it kind of slows down the movie, I mm-hmm. guess, but like, fuck it. I think that should have stayed how long in. Is it, how long is the scene? I think it, it's, it's a three minute scene, mm-hmm. but it's just like this, like, you know, it's Tom Skerritt going, kill me, kill me. But Again. it's just, but just like seeing Harry Dean Stanton melting into. But this an is, egg. I mean, but this is modern, this is modern. But like body like, horror is that the thing's body yeah. horror. This isn't body horror. This is a guy, like, what is body horror? Why? Like? Because he had to eat franks and beans and pasta. Yeah, what white are bread. <laughs> oh, that's another great sequence too, though, where the rich person wants his table turned. Mm-hmm. Um, no body. But was Inspector Clouseau body horror? <laughs> yes, because he gets beat up by his assistant. It's very body horror. It horrified me. But no, like like everything. This film works on so many levels because it is so timeless. Like it is not. Yeah. It's not released as a. Re- it wasn't. It didn't get released, and the reviews weren't. Oh, this is a good standard of the director George Romero was. No, the reviews were like, no, this he is doesn't a re- need that shit. Yeah, the reviews were like, this is a really good fucking horror film. Right, this feels about weird. Being old, sure, and it's like, oh. Forty years later, we're saying this is a really good horror film about this. Mm-hmm. And it's also troublesome. 
that 40 years later, you know. We haven't figured out palliative care in America or like just elder care. worse, you know. I don't know. Oh, it's definitely worse. We go from Nixon, with Nixon's president, Nixon's president in this year, right? Is it it seventy four? Yeah, say seventy three. Yeah, Nixon's still president because Nixon in seventy four. Yeah, we're going from Nixon to (laughs) you know, we think we're so modern from this, and this is pre Reaganomics. Mm -hmm. It's probably worse. It is actually literally worse. Yeah. Well, because the actually no, it's maybe. The, but the, maybe the movie version, the film version of this isn't worse because it would just be a bunch of um, people. No, I'm not going to say. Well, people. Well, that's not. That, it's, that's not. No, certain. it's not worse because the people don't even make it to old age anymore. They don't make it to old age. Certain, certain demographics, certain like sure. wealth amounts of let's, people don't make it. Let's just say that and not say anything else. Well, I'm saying like uh, the earnings wise, people right, don't right, make right. it to a certain age. Right. But I'm not going to bring COVID into it or anything like that. Oh, I wasn't, bring, I wasn't even mentioning COVID. I was mentioning how people of a certain econo- socioeconomic status are just now routinely dying. Well, I was, gonna, I was just going to bring up like an Andrew Cuomo, like let's manipulate the amount of people that are dying oh. in, like, hos- in, in, in hospice care and nursing homes to make myself look better. No, let's not, let's, cut, let's not do that. That's what I'm saying. I was going to be like... Let's, we cut, could, let's cut that down. Well, I, I think it's like it's fine just like to mention, but I'm, I'm not going to go on like a larger tangent no, of like exactly. culturally what that means or looks like or would look like on a film like to this level. But it's impressive to have somebody, and you know, credit also I guess to Wally Cook. I don't know it. No, Wally Cook is not anything, but he wrote the screenplay for this. Um, but It's pretty effective for not a lot of dialogue. It, yeah. It... it Carries it carries an emotion and uh, uh, um, I mean depending on what Wally Cook wrote, we don't know the screenplay for this. It might have just been like blah blah blah. Old person walks around. <laughs> and then Horrible Mara, things happen. And then George Romero's like, no, we're gonna put a coffin and we're gonna put a big book and we're gonna put creepy looking priests and he's like, no, they would not like that at the Lutheran services, whatever. And he's like, I'm doing it. If only the Episcopalian Service Society of Western Pennsylvania had done this. They probably would have been like, we're on board. Maybe they maybe he'd open one for them too. And that'll come out next year. They just didn't have enough money. Shutter's just hanging on to it. No, George Barrow didn't care. He would have done it for anything. No, he didn't have he notoriously had no money at this point. Yeah. But it shows the fact that he didn't like it was like Night of Living Dead went to the public domain because he forgot to do Renew his copyright. That's the, that. I mean, but that's like the indie and he ended up making dream. an O.J. Simpson documentary in right. 1974. That's that, juice on the loose. <laughs> that, that phrasing would have. That's, but I mean, that's the indie filmmaker's dream. Like Kevin Smith wasn't forgetting to do copyright stuff. You know what I mean? But I bet he wished he did. I bet he wished that Clerks could be as weirdly notorious, but also good could and as archive, foundational archive. as com, yeah. right as Night of the Living Dead. Right? Because, like, no one's ever going to forget Night of the Living Dead, but everyone's already forgotten Clerks. Yeah, people people still talk about... Like, nobody's seen it, but people still talk about Crazies. Yep. Which just came out right before this, right? Uh, no, Crazies, yeah. Crazies, I think, would come out in 74? I think Crazies came out a year after? Is his filmography... No, no you're right. So it came out a year after, 73. Is, is his filmography one of those weird ones where, like, he would make something? So there's a making it, and then, like, when it got released... Like filmography, so like the order in which he made them is not necessarily the order in which they got released. Uh, I don't necessarily think so. I think he kind of like released it and just beat released. Um, I do enjoy the fact that like when he made Day of the Dead, he got 
like $10 million to make it. And he just made like an NC-17 film. And they're like, you have to not do that. And he's like, I'll finance this myself. Thank you. <laughs> Which worked out better. I think Day of the Dead's, Day of Dead's easily the best of the, the Dead movies. That's what I've it. heard. Well, no, Day of the Living Dead's the best, but Day of the Dead's better than Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead's just goofy, too goofy. I haven't seen them in a very long time. And when I saw them originally, I was unmoved by them. The this, this second trilogy of, of Dead movies not so great. And But I will say this. Of all those early 90s Stephen King movies, I, my God, I think the Dark Half works the best. Oh, sure. For sure. Oh, is that not a controversial opinion? Well, it's, uh, it depends. It's very on... Needful Things. It's better than the It miniseries. Yeah. Baron Langoliers. It's not better than Misery, though. Oh, no, for sure. For, for... And then as we move into the mid, like Dolores Claiborne is better than, I think. Okay, let's take out Kathy Bates. <laughs> All Kathy Bates. But, like, movie so there. Misery and Dolores Claiborne are clearly better books. But of, like, his shitty books. Well, I, thought, I like, the Dark Half is a Coke book, right? Has to be. Because it makes no sense. No, it's 89, so he's past his Coke by that. Maybe it's like a, maybe he's... Like it's a withdrawal book or something like that because narratively it's just hot, hot or it's, shitty it's mess. I think it's I think it's him kind of dealing with his demons kind of maybe book, yeah but it's awful I mean it's unreadable yeah. as far as I I just and I just read it because I was like oh the thematically this is something I want to read but narratively it's awful I mean it's not Lizzie's story but it's have you watched any of Lizzie's story by the way uh no it's a train wreck that first uh, that first se- sequence with like in in the book with George Stark kind of like coming around is good but that's mm-hmm. about it just, like when George Stark is kind of coming it's awful no like when he's coming towards him it's good no no but I'm saying like the oh, oh, oh in the dark half you mean yeah yeah in the oh. book in the book yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but like when it happens it's 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 King's thing when someone horror is coming it's great when horror is here it's like well that's, there's gonna be at some point he needs somebody to finish his books for him. Somebody sometimes. he's gonna some at some point someone's gonna divide his books in half. And they're gonna be the books that don't work and the books that work. And, and we're all gonna Revival's gonna be right in the middle. What is it? Revival's gonna be right and there. Right, in the right, middle. No, revival will be like right in the works one because he kind of because it works. It's just this very brief sequence where it doesn't work, but everything else works. Yeah. But he would not have written Revival in nineteen eighty seven. You know what I mean? He just wouldn't be capable of that kind of control to pull Revival off. Even in 2006, he wasn't capable of that. Because Lizzie's story is a fucking disaster. As a book. And as a miniseries. But now we're off topic, Mario. Well, I think, I think we did it. I think we're closing. We've achieved off topic. Oh, I never realized Pet Cemetery and Dark Half are that far apart from each other. Oh, yeah. Because Pet Cemetery is really great. But Pet Cemetery is also super fucking dark. It's also that that that's definitely a, that has to be a Coke book, right? It is, but it's one of the ones that works. It's one of the ones that like stays. But it's focused. just like it's like one of his last like deep in the shit. <sighs> well, the I think the, the the reason Pet Cemetery works as well as Pet Cemetery does, even though I think the Wendigo stuff is not necessary, is that it. I think it brought up a lot of shit feelings inside of him, and that helped to focus him on like a specific thematic and narrative track. No, like hang on to this feeling. What makes this feeling come? You know, focus on that instead of just kind of like spraying Stephen Kingness all over the place. What's your least favorite book by him? I, I'm going to be honest with you. Probably 
Lizzie's Stories up there. Song of Susanna's up there. I read those too. Dreamcatcher's up there. I just have a soft spot. I mean, it's a terrible movie, and but it's also not a very good book. I have a soft spot for the book, though. Bag of Bones. Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon was the one that. Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon is fucking rough, and I just read that with my kids, and it stinks. Yeah. It is. I'm not sure 100% what he's doing in there. Um, I never watched. I never watched. I never read the other two books in the. Um, End of Watch is bad. That's the third one. Finders Keepers is excellent. Mr. Mercedes is great. Finders Keepers is an all-time classic Stephen King book. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, But End of Watch is a night. Just pretend, can I finish on Finders Keepers and be like, that was good. Yeah, because it doesn't doesn't need a third book. It's like Mr. Mercedes didn't need a third book. Well, so like Mr. Mercedes is what happens in Mr. Mercedes. Mr. Mercedes is... He has a heart attack in the end, so you think he's going to die, maybe. Right. So, But Mr. Mercedes is all real stuff. Okay? All real stuff. That uh, got adapted, right? Finders TV show? Yeah. Finders Keepers. All real stuff. All things that can happen in real life. No magic. No psychic abilities. End of Watch, for some reason, even though it takes place in modern times, the protag- the, the antagonist, Brady Hartsfield, in, in Mr. Mercedes, from his coma... Finds a way to get a doctor to manipulate handheld Game Boy style video game machines that makes people want to kill themselves. So the Cell. He just rewrote Cell. It, but worse. Yeah. Because Cell didn't even try to be good. This I think he was like, oh, I'm onto something with this with this uh coma. What's this guy? What's the go the um uh, What are the characters' names? Now I can't think of them. Holly Gibney. And um, Brady Hartsfield and uh, Jerome. Jerome, and what's the guy's name? The Bill. Bill. Bill Hodges. Oh, Bill Hodges. Bill Hodges. I'm on to something with these guys. You know what it needs? Telekinesis and manipulated Game Boy games. That's what it needs. That's what this series needs. You know what That's I what it was lacking the whole time. You know what I love about Mr. Mercedes is it has like a twist you don't see coming from a King book. Which one? Janie Dime, you don't see. That's like a not not king thing to do. No, because you like. And then and then she's like, in, and then when he describes her being in pieces. Yeah, she's like Jesus. But Christ. it works. Yeah, but it, it really works. I mean, but I think the I think the whole opening. Because Brady's not like a real not a super villain into that. Like not. You kind of buy him as a bad guy, but not like. Uh, you, you have well, some because, sympathy. And because him. he messes up. We're, he, we're done with the movie. He feeds guys. his mom the uh, he his mom eats the rat poison. Yeah, and then he like the way his that mom he, sucks too though. His mom sucks too. Yeah. But she was molesting him. Yeah. That's why everything was wrong with him. But he was a computer genius, too. So, whatever. But he was a Geek Squad guy. The anyway. Geek Squad guy thing was silly. Right. But it, but it was also real. So we'll give it a pass. Right? Sure. Yeah. Are we done? We're done. <laughs> if you're also done, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Um, or you can uh, send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com or go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list and other stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll be back eventually at some point when we... I, I don't know. Do we want to get together next week and talk about Luca? Luca? Lucra? Luca, yeah. <laughs> Velcro? Velcro. <laughs> what if it was just that? Yeah, we got, we got Luca next week. Um uh, no, and and then really nothing the weekend on. after that, and then Black <laughs> Widow, which we refer to in our house as Taskmaster the movie. Well, Black is Black Widow the second. No, it's the weekend after that. That's true. Black Widow is much further away than I thought it was. Well, on the second, we have Fear Street Part One and, and 
Werewolves Within. Are those is Fear Street? Fear Street is Netflix, right? Yeah. What's Werewolves Within? Also Netflix. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna rent it. So what's it's gonna, it? It's, it's a. It'll be a on demand, but I'm gonna rent it. YouTube it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it. On, I'm gonna rent yeah. it on YouTube so we can do It'll that. Be awesome. That'll be an awesome week. A video game adaptation movie. Is Werewolves Within a, a video it's game? A, yeah. Nice. Is it's, it on the Switch? This, maybe. It, this is a. It's based on Werewolf. The the. The game Werewolf, like the Mafia style game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nope. Ubisoft is producing this movie. Oh, well, that can only be terrible. They have a, not a great track record. <laughs> You're going to get five minutes in, and then they're going to ask you to buy the DLC, which is the second So You're going to get five the minutes film. in, they're going to ask you to subscribe to the Ubisoft like. Can you go to Ubisoft Network. Club? Oh, my God. It's like There's going to be a fetch quest in the middle of the film for the viewer. It's like, if you want to watch the next reel, you have to go downtown and That's, find it. That would be so funny. The, the best thing about like the E3 thing was like when Ubisoft did their presentation, everyone was just like, I don't want any of this. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Why do they do this? Like we're like in the middle of the Xbox thing, where it was like, here's Far Cry 6. And people are like, yeah. we wanted a couple of things. Gene Carl None Esposito. of this is what Gene we want. Gene Carl Esposito, you're better than this game no but he's not and he's like the face that they keep showing on like IGN and all these sites is proof that he isn't better than it he I mean, wishes making, he was he's making a shit ton of money so oh sure him. but his face is so sad he has the saddest face I feel so bad for him he's not doing anything in, this, in the Mandalorian he oh, just yeah. shows up every once in a while to just like say things and then he has one lightsaber fight he's like I'm stuck with the racist and the <clears throat> pro wrestler <coughs> <laughs> the racist. Uh, Gina <coughs> Carino. Oh, I thought there were two different people. Yeah, she's... Actually, no, the pro wrestler is Sasha Banks. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't think she's whatever. a... No, she's, she's fine. Gina Carano, I think... The problem with her is that I don't think she's a racist. I think she's just a fucking idiot. I'm sure she's also a racist. Like, I don't think she knows what the word means. <laughs> she's just a fucking moron. Probably. That's it. I mean, that's it. But I, mean, I think that's what this racism is now. Is like people that are just like, Oh, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Oh, the Jordan Peterson said that on a podcast, so it must be true. No, because he's a doctor in Canada. Why is he still I don't know. I don't know. I hate everything, Mario. Um, watch movies, drink beers, because you fucking have to, because you share a world with Jordan Peterson. And uh, we'll talk to you eventually. That's pretty good. In the Heights, the review is like, nah. Okay.